two parts to today. I want to start the first part by just spending some time sort of getting our heads in the game uh, about what the Me Too series is about in general terms, just kind of reminding us of the series theme here for Me Too. So we're going to do that by starting in Hebrews 4, if you're turned there, Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. This is a bit of a theme verse for us in this series. It's on the front of the study guide. We talked about it at some length of the first week. It says this, Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 say this, for we do not have a high priest, in other words, a mediator between us and God, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We don't have a a high priest, a mediator between us and God, who does not understand our struggles. But it says this, but we have one who in every respect, from human uh, perspective, from a human standpoint, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without Sin. In other words, Jesus was subjected to the temptations of sin, just like we are in our humanity and our flesh, yet he did not sin. So what that means is his perfect life counts for our imperfect life. Because of that, verse 16, let us then with confidence, knowing that his sinless life counts for our sinful life, let us draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is a theme passage for us in this Me Too series because it points out that God is a Me Too God. God is a Me Too God because in the person of Jesus, God became like and one of us enough that his perfect life counted for imperfect life. Think about what that means. It is amazing to say that in Jesus, God became one of us so that we could know him and have forever relationship with him. That is amazing truth. And if you understand, if you understand the amazing gift of God's grace that we have in Jesus, his perfect sinless life lived for us, if you really understand the love and the mercy and the grace that was extended to you in Jesus, then you also understand, as we talked about the last couple of weeks, that when you communicate me too, in your relationships with others. That becomes an opportunity to communicate that God is a me too God. So, as we've talked about in this series a couple times already, instead of being people of, and we're good at this, instead of being people primarily of you should or me instead, we must learn to trust what God did for us in Jesus, enough for us to confidently approach people with no agenda. Talking to Christians. (laughs) We must trust that what God did for us in Jesus is enough for us to confidently approach people with no agenda and just say, me too. And identify with them in their humanity to sympathize with their weaknesses as God himself did for us in Jesus. But, but listen, I understand that that's hard to do. <laughs> as soon as I say it, as soon as we talk about this me too idea, that's hard to do because we aren't readily and, and, and sort of, you know, by nature, me too people. We are fix it people, aren't we? Like, like I'm talking about me. I know a lot of y'all, a lot of y'all are fix it people too. <laughs> But just talking about me, my natural inclination in relationships with others, anytime something comes up that's a struggle, that's a problem that needs fixing, I'm going to jump in, I'm going to fix it. 
Like when something is really wrong with my wife or, or she is sharing about something um, that, that was in her day that was hard that happened to her at work, what do you think my first response is? Fix it. I mean, come on, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm like in the people-fixing business. <laughs> but listen, as you know, that doesn't work in marriage very well. My wife and I have been married almost 20 years now, which sounds like a long time, by the way. It felt like no time. Let me just Boy, it's flown. Um, it has taken me approximately 19.47397 years um, to the day, to the beginning of this series, to begin to sort of understand that she doesn't really want me to fix everything. I mean, there are definitely things she wants me to fix. The front door handle at our house, the transmission system leak in the van, the reverse turn signals on the back of my van, my pride and depression, things like that. But when it comes to her, when it comes to her and her needs, she doesn't really want me to fix everything. She just wants me to, um, what's that word I'm looking for? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Couldn't remember it. <clears throat> she just wants me to listen, which is hard because we are fix-it people. I mean, like we are trained to fix things. Um, five-word lesson for most of our relationships, including marriage. Let Jesus be the Messiah. Let Jesus be the Messiah. <laughs> we are people who are trained from birth to do it ourselves, to work our way there uh, in, a, in a way uh, that, that doesn't end up ultimately working. And so we do that in our relationships with others, especially in our marriage. So we, we, we go to fix things because we think we get... We get sort of me points for fixing things. Like, that's how I am in my heart. That's how I was trained to be. Most of us feel like we're made to fix things, especially <laughs> everyone else's things, right? Like, I'm made to fix your stuff. That's in us if we're honest about this. And marriage is one of the places, especially, where that shows up most. Now, you may think at this point, I'm being too dramatic or <laughs> traumatic as we, you may think I'm being too dramatic about this, maybe putting too fine a point on this fix it thing. Um, but I want you to watch this minute and a half video here. It's really not too far off uh, from reality for most of us. Watch this real quick. I know that's ridiculous. It sounds extreme. And yes, on the one hand, she probably just needs some pliers, but it's, but it's making an important point. <laughs> Most of the time, what people really need is empathy. People need a sense. I am not the only broken, messed up person here. That is perhaps one of the greatest things people in our world are dying for. They will take drugs every day. They will medicate themselves to death. They will watch pornography for hours on end. They will do whatever they must to numb themselves because they have a sense that nobody else is with me in this. Friends, me too matters. Me too matters. 
Most of the time what people need is true human empathy that listens and that simply communicates care and that doesn't jump to fixing everything. I can Google that. And I don't think, by the way, that a dying world is going to be changed by super-Christians jumping in and fixing things for it. They won't listen to us if that is our tactic. You can't fix someone till they know they need to be fixed and that you love them. Those two things must be in place. Otherwise, you have no hope of Pharisaicizing them into the kingdom. They won't, they won't let you. It doesn't work. I mean, how long are we going to pretend that gotcha sayings on church signs and bumper stickers are meaningful ways to extend Christ's grace and mercy? We reach people who need Jesus by being people who extend Jesus the same way he extended himself to us. This is the gospel. And you cannot pervert people into following the gospel by fixing them. You see, only the gospel fixes them. Only Jesus fixes people. We only have eight minutes and not a lot of time to talk about the second half of the sermon. But I do think it's important for us to talk about an application of this uh, Me Too thing. Uh, so, So we must become people of Me Too and not me instead and not you should. And this week... The sort of Me Too issue um, that most of us can relate to is the title of the sermon, I Care Too Much What Other People Think. I Care Too Much What Other People Think. Anybody else struggle with that? Yeah, of course you do. Join the club. We all do to some extent. Uh, Me Too for sure. Let me just lay this out there at the beginning. I have this disease with a vengeance. (laughs) Today's sermon titles the story of my life. Uh, No lie. I remember in in middle school being so paranoid about what other people think about me as a sixth grader that in between every single class period, I would walk into the bathroom to check my hair and armpits every single day in between every single class for about two years. I used to think all the time in middle and high school, never let them see a sweat, never let them see a sweat, never let them see a sweat, stupid Gillette people, Um, (laughs) never let them see a sweat. Ironically, I would literally go through every day in a sweat, (laughs) worrying what everybody else thought of me. Uh, I read somewhere, somebody said that when you're 20, you care what everybody thinks. When you're 40, you stop caring what everybody thinks. When you're 60, you realize no one was thinking about you in the first place. (laughs) So let's just... Let's just learn to release ourselves from the worry about what everybody else thinks, okay? Uh, We're going to jump into Colossians 3 in just a second here, but I want to do a quick survey, and and I want you to actually raise your hands. I sort of don't like these preacher raise your hands moments, but I want you to raise your hands on this one because I need you to help me with the visual. Uh, How many of you here today would say you like being liked? You like to be liked, all right? Anybody whose hands are down, you're a liar. How many of you would at least admit that in some form or fashion you are a bit of a people pleaser? People pleasers. People pleasers. All right. How many of you raised your hands uh, simply because you wanted to please me? (laughs) 
I don't know, Scott. I'm not sure. Do you want me to raise your hand? Raise my hand? Uh, truth is, we've all got a bit of this in us here. And you can see a lot of that visually there. Most of us, in fact, have so much of this in us that it creates big problems for us. It is no exaggeration to say that most of us go through life responding to voices we have heard all around us that eventually become the tapes we play inside our heads. Most of us are responding to voices we heard that became the tapes playing inside our head that constantly repeat. We have been trained to care more about what others think of us than what God says of us. And so we end up being motivated by an incessant need to please others, to gain our acceptance and meaning. This is foundational stuff if we are going to become the fruitful, healthy believers in a Jesus who did the work for us. So, so we need to do a little rewiring of our brains today and listen to what God says of us and to pray for his voice to carry more weight in our hearts and our heads than the other voices that are the tapes that play. So I want to just press rewind for us a bit to the beginning of the tape. Y'all remember those, right? I want us to press play and record at the same time and listen to Colossians 3, okay? For some help, for some help in learning how to listen to God's voice. Verses 1 and 2, they say this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Tons of theology in that. We're not going to talk about all that. But it's a great, great verse. All of Colossians is great. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. One and two are sort of parallel statements there. Uh, we're going to marinate in those two verses for a bit here. This is how you can begin to fix the problem of caring more about what others think of you than God. Uh, simply put, two statements we're going to grab there. You seek and you set your mind. You seek and you set your mind on things above. Both of those apply to that phrase, on things above, in the parallels there in 1 and 2. You seek and set your mind on the things above, verses 1 and 2. Our problem is that we seek and we set our mind on the things of this world that overpromise but underdeliver. So we've been raised with this false idea that the world's offerings, that what people offer me, that those things are going to energize us and give us meaning and help us in life. But we all know that's not true. And Paul is saying here, if you have been raised to life, meaning having been dead, Ephesians 2, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. If you were raised to new life, which is resurrection and baptism language, if you have been raised to life, then seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Seek the eternal things of God. In verse 2, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. In other words, seek and set your mind. Listen to the voice of your heavenly Father who made you and who loves you. Not to the voices of those around you. Because in each of us, that fix-it problem 
is a manifestation of our desire to manipulate the world around us into something from which I can gain works-based goodness. Our inclination is to do that. We can't help but do that. We are idol-making factories, many of the theologians over the centuries have said. So set your mind on things that are above, not on things on the earth. Listen to the voice of your heavenly Father who made you and loves you, not to the voices of those around you. Now, Now listen, this is a mindset. Notice it calls it that. Set your minds. This is a mindset. Undoing the trajectory of what others think requires us getting our heads straight. It's a mindset. And Paul's writing here uh, to people whose minds were set on the things of the earth, things that were temporary instead of the things of God that were eternal, the things that they knew they would have forever, he said, the things that are where Christ is, your life is hidden with him, he says. These people in Colossians didn't have the right mindset. It's sort of like this. I started working out uh, again this past week, um, fool that I am, and I worked out for three straight days. So I I started to try to work out again for the thousandth time. Um, and, And honestly, for the past few days, I am totally exhausted. Uh, for real. For the past few days at mid-morning, about 10 o'clock, when I am usually going at it with energy and passion and three cups of coffee, I could hardly keep my eyes open. Turns out, I haven't yet adapted to the truth that I'm in my mid-40s and not my mid-20s. Which sounds silly, but I know that's why When I went straight to training for those three days, I'm trying to crank out those sets of 20 push-ups and crunches, and, you know, I thought I can, yeah, no no problem. Uh, My mind was not in reality. It was back in the mid-20s. In the same way, Paul says, set your mind on what God says about you and not what everybody else does. Set your mind on the things above what he says is true, what's going to be true of you in eternity, and not those things way back when that were the tapes that became how you operate and what you're motivated by. In the same way, set your mind on the things above. This is a conscious direction that requires diligence and discipline to pay attention. It's a habit, one might say. It's a habit. To focus and pay attention on what God says and not what Gillette or Nike or your self-centered friends say. If what they say isn't about the things that are above, then simply put, why would you pay attention to those voices? I'm not saying don't identify them. I'm not saying don't me too with them. I'm not saying leave them in the lurch. I'm saying do not take what others say if it's not fitting with Colossians 3, 1 and 2, the things above, the things that are eternal. If what they say doesn't fit with that, why are you wasting time giving it attention that it doesn't deserve? And friends, it's not easy or fun to say, but that counts of every voice we hear this side of heaven. That's the filter. Does it match? (laughs) Does it match what God says about me? What I know is true for eternity? Or or am I paying attention and focusing, listening to these mid-twenties voices? That's how you know whose voice to listen to. 
if the voices of those around you line up with what God says and what God has done for you in Christ, then of course you listen to those voices. They will help you grow to become who God made you to be. So, closing question, do you care too much about what other people think? Yeah, I'm sorry. Me too. Join the club. I understand what that's like. I feel like the title of the sermon today, the title is sort of the title of my life. Uh, so I want to read a letter uh, to close here. Um, I want you to listen along with me as I read this letter. We're going to join together and kick the fear uh, to the curb. Um, this is a Dear John letter um, to um, the fear of what others think. I want you to listen along with me. Dear fear of what others think, I am sick of you, and it's time we broke up. I know we've broken up and gotten back together many times, but seriously, fear of what others think, this is it, we're breaking up. I'm tired of overthinking my status updates on Facebook, trying to sound more clever, funny, and important. I promise I did not write this. I'm sick of feeling anxious about what I say or do in public, especially around people I don't know that well, all in the hope that they'll like me, accept me, praise me. I run around all day feeling like a golden retriever with a full bladder. Like me, like me, like me, like me. Because of you, I go through my day with a cloud of shame hanging over my head, and I never stop acting. The spotlight's already on. I'm center stage, and I'd better keep dancing, posturing, or else the spotlight's going to move, and I'll dissolve into a little meaningless puddle on the ground like that witch in The Wizard of Oz. One person liked it. Listen to this. I can never live up to the expectations of my imaginary audience the one that lives only in my head, but whose collective voice is louder than any other voice in the universe. And all of this is especially evil because if I really stop and think about it and let things go quiet and listen patiently for the voice of the God who made me and the Savior who died for me, in His eyes it turns out I'm actually profoundly precious and lovable and worthy and valuable. When I find my true identity in Christ, then you turn back the tiny yapping little dog that you are. So eat it, fear of what others think. You and I are done. I'm not interested in talking it through. I'm running, jumping, and laughing you out of my life once and for all. Friends, just listen to a few verses from Scripture. Just listen to what God says. Look at this verse from Titus 3. Being justified by His grace, we become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You are completely accepted. Isaiah 54.10 says, For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed. But my steadfast love shall not depart from you, God talking to his people, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed. You are entirely loved. Romans 8 that we read earlier in the service. 
It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Which means you are totally forgiven. 1 Corinthians 7 says, You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Which means He considers you valuable. Worthy of paying that kind of price. Friends, the God who made you says you are accepted, loved, forgiven, and valuable. This is what God says. That's what the story of this book is. That's what Jesus came to prove. We serve a me too God who loved you, accepted you, found you valuable enough, and and wanted to forgive you entirely. So he came to say, me too, it's going to be okay. In just a moment, friends, after we pray, we're going to sing a song together. And uh, during that song, uh, simply put, we just invite you to come forward. uh, If there's any way in which you need to take a step uh, in finding and following Jesus today. Let's pray, friends.